0: So I'm a bit of a last-minute kind of a guy. It doesn't really matter how well-intentioned I am about getting a head start on a sermon, doing an assignment early, or even getting tasks done around the house, I really leave it till the last minute to get it done. Like in in our home, uh, having a clean and tidy kitchen is a bit of a a high value. But on my day off from, from work, when I'm just home through the day, I will leave that kitchen until about five minutes before I need to go and pick up kids and Merrin's coming home from work before I finally get that job done. There's something about the deadline that gets me going. Uh, I've got better in this area in in some aspects like with birthdays and anniversaries but but at heart I'm still this last minute kind of a guy. It it takes having a a bomb almost lit lit under you to, to get you going sometimes, doesn't it? It might be that the in-laws are coming to visit or that there's a rental inspection coming up or or that the assignment is due tomorrow. You know that these are things that you have to do. You know that these things that you need to do, but it just takes that extra bit of motivation coming from an outside source, this extrinsic uh, motivation to get you going. Well, as we come back to our study in the book of Acts today, we see something similar going on for the early church. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives this commission to his early followers. He says to them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the task that the early church had, to be a witness to Jesus. Yes, in Jerusalem, but also in Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. But for the next seven chapters, uh, after this commission was given, they just stay put in Jerusalem. This commission to go out into the world, to take the news of him to further and further places, it came to them from no less than directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. And yet, while I'm sure they had really great intentions to get about it, they needed a push to get going. They needed something more to actually get them moving in fulfilling this task. And that's exactly then what happens as we come to chapter 8, which is where we are today. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Acts. But if you remember from back in chapter 7, there we saw Stephen get stoned to death for proclaiming Christ, And he was the first Christian martyr. And then chapter 8 opens with this, that Saul, who was there, approved of their killing of Stephen. And so on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the house. Destroy the church, rather. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. The early church, while facing their challenges, were seemingly content to stay in the familiarity of Jerusalem. It took something extreme to get them moving outside of that comfort zone. It took this persecution to get them outside the walls of Jerusalem and into then Judea and Samaria, And ultimately to the ends of the earth. And in no way do I want to make light of persecution. I I don't want to say that it's just the, the push that they needed to get going, because that can discount the reality of it, and we can't do that. It's described here as a great persecution, and that Saul was going around seeking to destroy the church. It was a persecution that was pursued with passion and with thoroughness. And a systematic approach was being taken to kind of rid society of Christians and to do away with the church. When you read or hear accounts about what Christians throughout the world experienced just for being a Christian, I mean, the fear and the terror, the victimization and the violence of it. It would be horrible. And that's what is going on here. But sitting here comfortably in Australia, in our homes, watching church on our TVs or our phones or our laptops, let's be honest to say that we have no idea of the experience of such persecution Undeniably, our society and culture has turned against Christianity and you see it all across the media and in a range of issues. We've we've been increasingly silenced and marginalised. But in the scheme of things, we're actually still okay. We're still safe and protected. We can still gather, assuming there's not a global pandemic going on. We can still put content onto the internet and not fear that we'll be hunted down and and thrown into prison or worse for that. We're okay, but not everyone is. One in eight Christians worldwide are persecuted for following Jesus. So even before looking at anything else in relation to this passage, I think it's appropriate for us to pause and, and to pray for our sisters and brothers around the world who face persecution. For their faith. So join with me in prayer now for them. Sovereign God, we worship you and we acknowledge that you know all of those who suffer in your name. And we want to remember those then who are imprisoned for their faith. And ask that they would join with the Apostle Paul to see that even though they remain captive, their chains have furthered the gospel, not frustrated it. May they inspire and embolden their fellow believers to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. God of all comfort. For those who are tortured both in body and mind. We ask that you will give them the grace to endure and to see their suffering as a part of following in Christ's footsteps. Merciful God, for those who are asked to pay the ultimate price, who are martyred because of their love for you, may they truly know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings as they become like him in his death. Father God, for those who are widowed and orphaned as a result of persecution, may they know the comfort that comes from your promised presence, even when they walk through the dark valley. May they be strengthened by your Spirit, who enables them to rejoice with the psalmist as they proclaim that the Lord will not abandon them, even in death. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make us ever mindful of our sisters and brothers around the world who need us to stand with them and to uphold them as they suffer in your name. Teach us all what it means to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we pray that we would not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. And so, Lord, we ask, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. A passage like this reminds us of the reality of the persecuted church worldwide and our need to pray for them, and it's a sobering reminder. But I want us to note something more here before we move on in the passage. See, so Saul himself, this one who was standing here giving approval to the, uh, to the killing of Stephen and then started the persecution, he himself would be converted and he's who we know now as Paul. And he would later write that, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, the comfortable, often privileged position that we as Christians have had in society is actually an anomaly. It's a glitch in the matrix. And I don't know that it's always been good for us. See, how is it that Saul and others knew where they could find the Christians to persecute? That they didn't hack into our church Alvento database to find out everyone's addresses. Rather, they knew who the Christians were by how they were living. They lived a distinct life as they lived within the kingdom of God that Jesus came and started. So when society becomes Christian, though, the distinctiveness of following Jesus becomes less clear. It doesn't stand out as much as just how we live is viewed to be Christian. And so I think this is the great opportunity of our time as society turns away from its Christian underpinnings, that our lives will start to stand out again as salt and light in the world and be distinctive. But why is it, though, that Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why is this? Well, at the end of the day, both then and as now, Jesus is always an unpopular message to the culture. Jesus offers a challenge to the powerful and the unjust systems of the world. Jesus humbles our pride and undermines our self-sal- self-salvation projects. Jesus dares to say that he is the truth that he is the way and the light and that no one comes to the father except through him Jesus' radical holiness and love shows up our sin and our selfishness and our self-promotion he's a stumbling block to the religious and foolishness to the wise the message of Jesus and life in his name is always an unpopular message to the culture And so it's attacked. Then the question is, how do we respond when that happens? When persecution comes, what do do we do? I think we have a range of options. We can just back down from our faith and just blend in and just go along with the flow and become like everyone else. Alternatively, we could bunker down. We could just kind of retreat into our own fortress of like-minded people, just building up our walls higher and higher and just being happy that, that we at least have Jesus and, and each other while we then bemoan the state of society around us. Or we could go on the offensive And we can not back down one inch and instead draw a line in the sand for every issue and aggressively fight for it as if Christianity is about a series of moral propositions and positions. Or we can do as the early church did. And we can just continue to live differently and to share the good news of Jesus as good news for others. So we've already read that all the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria back in verse 1. And so then we read this, from picking it up again from verse 4. Those who had been scattered, which was everyone, preached the word wherever they went. And the passage then goes on to give us an example of this in the person of Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed... They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Do you remember Philip? We first met him back in chapter 6 a few weeks ago now. He was one of the seven who was chosen to help care for the the widows. And the description of him there was that he was known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. In other words, he was just an ordinary Christian. All Christians receive the Spirit upon their conversion and the Spirit was then noticeably doing his transforming work in Philip's life. And so he's an example of the early church's response to persecution, that wherever they went, those who had been scattered continued to preach the Word. They continued to tell others about Jesus This chapter is full of sharing the good news about Jesus. In verse 4, those who are scattered preach the word. In verse 5, Philip in Samaria proclaimed the Messiah. In verse 12, Philip proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, the Samaritans had accepted the word of God. In verse 25, Peter and John further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. And on their way back to Jerusalem, they continued preaching the gospel. And finally, in verse 35, which is in our passage for next week, Philip then told the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus. Wherever they went, as they were scattered here, there and everywhere outside of Jerusalem, the early church told the good news of Jesus and of life in his kingdom and in his name. And in the city where Philip went, we're told that the result is that there was great joy in that city. It reminds me of the first time that the good news of Jesus was shared by the angels speaking to the shepherds. We read in in Luke 2 that the angels said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that news of great joy is that today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know, we are in a pretty unique situation at the moment. Normally, we would gather at the church building in Wodonga on a Sunday and we would have a great time together of worshipping God and of hearing His Word. But we can't do that at the moment. Instead, we've been forced out of our Jerusalem. If you like. And we are now scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria, all throughout Aubrey Wadonga and the surrounding district. And the question for us is what are we doing as we're scattered in all those places? Are we doing as the early church did? Are we sharing the word of Jesus wherever we've been scattered? And we have a message to share. We have a message to share that is one of good news that brings great joy. And if joy is needed at any time, well, certainly it's, it's now in the uncertainty and the disruption that is caused by the coronavirus. Maybe a purpose of this virus is to force us to scatter, It is to force us out into our neighbourhoods to take Jesus and his word and his kingdom in our lives, out into our neighbourhoods in a way that we otherwise wouldn't have done so, that we otherwise wouldn't have chosen to do so. We're going to spend some time reflecting on this good news as we share, uh, that, that we are to share, as we remind ourselves of it again through communion in a few moments' time. But before we do, though, let me just summarise what I think are the the takeaway applications from our passage today. We have talked about them as, as we've gone through, but, but just to, to recap, there's three things I think we need to do as we respond to this passage from Acts. Firstly, we need to pray for the persecuted church. Secondly, we need to live different. We need to live as salt and light in our world, showing in word, uh, not just in word, but in our deeds, the difference that Jesus makes uh, and what it is to live in his kingdom. And then thirdly, wherever we are, wherever we've been scattered, we need to share the good news. As we do these three things, pray for the persecuted church, live different and share the good news, we will see the gospel spread. We'll see it expand and extend its reach and its impact. So let's take a moment to to remember that gospel, that good news now. The good news is that there is a way to God and to a different kind of life. And that way is Jesus. See, our self-help, self-improvement, self-salvation projects, they don't work. The reality is we are sinners in need of a Saviour. And that's who Jesus is. By Him dying on a cross, bearing our sins, He achieved our forgiveness. And He made clear the way for us to be restored to life with God. And life as God intended it to be. He died our death to give us his life.